Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia welcomes you to our weekly time of worship and study of God's Word with Pastor Jesse Wagoner. So sit back, relax, and get comfortable, because when you're here, you're home. Now, I, I, I did as I did last week. I tried to do a survey. I did do a survey, and some of you were so kind to respond. And uh, here was the survey question. When shopping for a garment for someone else, do you A, guess the size, B, ask, for, ask them for the size and spoil the surprise, or order a larger size and just hope for the best? And I, I can say now there is no consensus. It's all over the board. Several people said, you know, just ask. It's the safe thing. Just ask. Or sneak into their closet or ask someone else. And a few of you claim to be experts at guessing sizes, and that's no problem for you. I don't want to talk to you people because you bother me. But a number of, uh, and then some people just didn't accept the premise. Just buy something else. Don't ever buy garments. And, uh, you know, gift giving is something to, it's difficult to get the right gift for the right person. Years ago when uh, I was working in a retail store, in a department store, uh, you know, of course, if you've ever worked in retail, you know, right before Christmas it gets very hectic. And uh, one of the things that we sold or, we, you know, we checked out and sold was exercise equipment, believe it or not. And I remember it was late on Christmas Eve, and we were like counting down times. Let's close this thing. We want to get home to our family and do our things. And Christmas Eve, this guy comes just, just kind of bursting in and said, I need to buy an exercise bike. And I said, okay, we can, well, what are you looking for? So I need an exercise bike for my wife. And I immediately thought, I hope she asked for the exercise bike. Because he might be on shaky ground to start with. And, uh, you know, everything was all picked over. All we had was a display model that wasn't working. It was, it was, not, it was non-functional. So that's all we got. I said, I'll buy it. I'll buy it and I'll take it home, give it to her at Christmas time, and I'll bring it back and exchange it after Christmas. And I'm thinking, how is she going to feel on Christmas morning when, look what I got you. It doesn't work, but here it is because it didn't fit. So I don't know the rest of that story, but I remember thinking that's, uh, he was probably doomed either way he went in this particular gift-giving exercise. But, you know, to find the right thing for the right person is difficult, but I want to assure you, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, the term we'll look at this morning, that when it comes to being our Savior, when it came to being our Savior, Jesus is the perfect fit. He is perfectly fitted and perfectly placed to be our Savior. Now look at verse 11 of Luke chapter 2. In a familiar verse of Scripture, we looked at it last week, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now this is an angel talking to a group of unsuspecting wise men that just suddenly have their, their work night interrupted, they're working the night shift, and suddenly this angel comes and all this, and, and this is the message. These are the first words that are spoken after Christ has been born. The first people to hear the message, first recorded words anyway. For was born this day in the city of David a Savior, that's what we looked at last week, who is Christ, that's what we're going to look at today, and then later we'll look at this word Lord. Now Christ is an interesting term. And we need to understand, we use it all the time, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, we call that all the time. Now understand, first of all, that is not a name, that is a title, okay? It's not a name, it's a title applied to him. And it's a very technical title, and one, once we can unpackage this and bring this out, it's going to just say so much to us about the reality of Christ being the perfect fit, the perfect one, the unique and only fit, if you want to say it that way, to redeem us, to bring us back to God, to bring us into a relationship with God and to provide for us through all eternity. 
So what does this word mean and how does it connect? Well, first of all, if you go back into the Old Testament and you understand that kind of concept, there's this term called the Messiah, meaning this one who was going to come to rescue, to save, to redeem. The New Testament word Christ is basically the synonym for the Old Testament word Messiah. So they're just, they absolutely have the, the same meaning. And if you'll just trust me on that, I'm not going to waste a lot of time trying to prove that from the scriptures, but it's absolutely what it means. The word itself, if you looked up its, its meaning and its root, it means one who is anointed or the anointed one. The anointed one. Now the anointed one is special, and it's a special designation given to Christ because anointing was something they understood in the Old Testament. For instance, when Samuel gets sent by God down to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, because the first king named Saul had so messed up that God said, I'm, he's not going to have a dynasty, he's one and done, I'm going to send you to Jesse's house, and you're going to select the next king of Israel. And he looks at all Jesse's sons, and he thinks, boy, there's, this, there's got to be a good one here among them, right? This is a good-looking bunch. And at, one after another, God says, nope, not the one, not the one. Finally, he asked Jesse, you got any more sons? We've run out of sons. He said, well, there's the youngest who's out keeping the sheep. He didn't even get, to get invited to the, the prophet coming to the house party. He comes to me, and God says, this is the one. And God makes this wonderful statement. I look on the heart, man looks on the outward. So he knew David's heart, and he takes some oil, olive oil, and pours it on his head. He was anointed with the oil. This was the designation, and all in Israel that after that looked at King David as their, their, their champion. This is the king of, of all the kings. This is the standout king. With that in mind, they come to this place where they understand that the anointing is what marked this one qualified and marked this one as appointed, marked this one as selected, and God's touch in the, in the symbolic act of anointing was the picture of God putting his power, his glory, his ability on this one who was selected for a special task. So when you say the anointed one, when it says this one who was born this day in the city of David is a savior, that's what he's going to do. He is Christ, that's what he's qualified to do. And he's Lord, he has the ability to do it. We'll look at that later. He's the one that is selected. So it has this idea of anointing. He's the anointed one. So let's just take this a little bit through. And interestingly, we can kind of stay here in the first early chapters of, of Luke to help us understand this. But he says this one is the anointed one. If you want to just kind of slip over into chapter 3, actually we're going to stay in chapter 2 for just a moment. Get down to verse 26 of chapter 2. Now this is the story. This is about the two months after Jesus is born. They take him being the firstborn male child. There's a special ceremony that they would do in the temple to present him to, to the Lord. And there's a man there by the name of Simeon. He's an older man. There's an old, also an older woman by the name of Anna who also is part of this story later on. And uh, I'll pick it up in 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That literally means the coming of the Messiah, by the way. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Okay, that's an important thing. We'll see that a little bit later. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the anointed one. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the people to bring a revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. The one he was looking for was one who was anointed. 
The Holy Spirit had told him he would not die until he had that privilege of seeing this child. It was the Holy Spirit that picked him out of how many children would have been coming into Jerusalem on this day. This was a common thing. This is just kind of in and out. This is every day. He saw him there. And then we want to flap over to chapter 3, which is very interesting. In chapter 3, Jesus is, is preceded in his announcement by one that we know as John the Baptist. He's preaching repentance, getting them ready, if you will, to receive this Messiah who was coming. In verse 21, we read these verses. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. And the voice from heaven, and a voice from, from heaven, which said, You are my beloved Son, in, in you I am well pleased. Now Jesus goes down into the water. This is at the Jordan River. He's immersed in the water. He comes up and immediately there's this, not just this, this reality that the Holy Spirit comes upon him, but that the Spirit of God comes in a way that the, those that were there could see. It comes in a bodily form. It looked like a dove fluttering down upon him. That was the best description that they could give. And it says that it, it came and, and was on him. Interesting, Matthew's gospel includes these words. It says, it alighted on him. It landed on him, just like a bird coming and landing on him. So what is the, what is the meaning of that? We know that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is also a bit of a mystery, because you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why does God the Son need the power of the Holy Spirit? You and I know well, we need the power of the Holy Spirit because we are weak and we need His power in our lives. But why does Jesus need the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, part of the roles that they assumed during the incarnation, as best we can understand, God the Father sends God the Son to be the Savior. God the Son operates in the power of God the Spirit in order to glorify the mission of God the Father. So you have this, this combined working together, all God, all, all the time. But part of that is to give us an example as well. I think this is a minor reason, but it's one that we can relate to. If Jesus operated in the power of the Spirit, has the Spirit that operated in Him changed from the Spirit that indwells us as believers? You know the answer immediately to be no. You understand that the power is available to us. We have, we have God power available to us and within us to live out this Christian life. So that's all, all in play. Now, if you want to turn there, you may, because we're going to be right back to Luke here in just a moment. But there's a verse, two verses that's found in Acts chapter 10, where the apostle Peter gives some commentary on what we just read about the baptism of Jesus. And it's important to put this together. And in Acts chapter 10... This is right after Peter saw that vision of the sheet full of clean, unclean animals and so forth. And he goes to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, and he preaches the gospel, and the Spirit of God comes upon them. It's kind of the, the first inroads of the gospel in a major way into the Gentile world. It was a lesson to Peter and a lesson to the early church. And Peter preaches a sermon after he has come there and seen what has happened. He preaches a sermon to them about, the, he preaches the gospel. And in verses 37 and 38, he says these words. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, it began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now note the phrase that you see there in that verse. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. His anointing was not symbolic with oil. His anointing was not by the hand of man as was customary in the Old Testament. His anointing came from God and His anointing was synonymous with the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
So the coming of the Holy Spirit is what anoints him and in essence fulfills this reality that he indeed is the Christ. He is the one sent from God. He is the one who is fit to be our Savior. Without the reality that he is Christ the Lord, there would be something less than what we understand about his coming. Yes, he is the Savior. That's what he came to do. He was Christ. He was qualified to do it. And he is Lord. He had the ability because he is God to pull it off. And he did it fully and completely and without any deviation from the plan of God. So, maybe we could say it this way. I want to just put this in a summary statement. Then we're going to see how this kind of fits into our lives today. Jesus is fully qualified and was uniquely designated as the Redeemer. Fully qualified and uniquely designated. Fully qualified. Everything that the Redeemer needed to have, he had. Now, you can also add some other things to it. If you're still there in Luke, you can also go back into uh, the text where you understand there's this long genealogy uh, of Jesus that, that gives you all of his, his background, that he was of the house of David and so forth. And uh, you can find that there as well. He was qualified, uh, so in his heritage, he was qualified in his ethnicity. He was a Jew. He was qualified at the right time. But he was qualified by God, by the anointing. Jesus Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the one who God uniquely equipped, uniquely designated, and fully qualified to be our Savior. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you wanted someone to be qualified? Have you ever been to a physician's office and you're sitting there in the waiting room and there's a big, long number of framed diplomas on the wall? I don't know about you, I kind of like seeing that. You know, they gra he graduated from this medical school. He has this training. He's board certified to do what else. I kind of like seeing the credentials on the wall. I kind of like doing that. Sometimes if you're doing business, in today's world with the internet, you can look up and see someone's background, their bio. What qualifications do they have to be the expert in the situation I need? If, if I'm going to go to consult a cardiologist, I want to make sure that they have all the credentials that a cardiologist should have. When we come to Christ, we have all the qualifications in Him that we need to be our Savior. He is the anointed one. He's uniquely qualified to be our Savior. We see that in the fact that it was predicted. That was the Messiah of the Old Testament. It was predicted or, or announced, I should say, by the angel who is Christ, this one who is, who is the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He was the one who was announced to be that. He was the one who was touched with that by the anointing of the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. And then he claimed to be the anointed one. There's one more passage in Luke we want to look at, and it's over in chapter 4. After the baptism, Jesus is tempted. So he came to Nazareth, by the way, that's his uh, childhood hometown, born in Bethlehem, lived there until they uh, fled to Egypt. They come back from Egypt after Herod dies because God informed them of that. It was the safe time to come back. They go back to Nazareth where Mary and Joseph were uh, when the announcement took place. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed a book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written... And now he's going to quote two verses from Psalm 61. By the way, if you, under, if, you, if you compare the actual text in Psalm 61 with the part that Jesus read, there's a very interesting reality, and I'll point that out in just a moment. Here's what he reads. Now, listen carefully. This is the one who has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's the Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover of, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Are those amazing words for, for Jesus to read? Now, they just thought he was reading the text of Scripture that had been read before. But here's the one who's reading it. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's what just happened in chapter 3. He talks about, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. Basically, he's announcing in his hometown, I'm qualified. Now, they just think he's reading, but then this happens. Verse 20. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. You can just kind of picture that, can't you? They're just waiting leaning forward. What's going to be next? It says this, 21. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You'll run into some people that will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be anything special. He was, that's, what, that's what other people attach to him after the fact. I've had people say to me to my face, Jesus never cl- proclaimed to be God. And I'm like, what Bible are you looking at to come to that conclusion? He says, What Isaiah said, that I was anointed by the Holy Spirit for this mission that he describes here in these two verses in Isaiah 61, you're hearing it, you're seeing it, you're experiencing it in real time. And then he goes on to, basically they wind up insulted because he says, you know, no one, a prophet's not honored in his own country. And he talks about how there's rejection. He points out two or three stories from the Old Testament about Gentiles who believe, saying, and by the way, to a Jew of their day, to say a Gentile was a believer was like, ah, you were going to get a reaction. And it comes to the point that they're going to take him out to the outside the city and throw him off a cliff. But Jesus miraculously goes through the midst. That's the rest of the story. But there's an interesting point in in the Isaiah 61 passage because Jesus stops where it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. If you go back into Isaiah, he stops in the middle of a verse because the next two phrases says to bring comfort to Israel and to, and to basically to defeat Israel's enemies. That's his second coming. These verses are about his first coming. Did he heal, did he heal people of, of their blindness? Did he proclaim the gospel? Did he serve as God's anointed? Yes, yes, and yes. But to give consolation to Israel, to restore that kingdom, and also to defeat their enemies, that awaits the second coming. So Jesus is very exact in stopping at the right point because Isaiah encompasses both comings in that prophecy from Isaiah 61. So he stops at the exact right point to understand that. So Jesus proclaimed, Jesus accepted, Jesus operated, his disciples heard, everyone heard him preach, understood that he was saying, I am qualified uniquely and fully, and I'm uniquely selected as the Redeemer. Now, that comes as no surprise to any of us, right? That phrase you see on there, you say, that's nothing new. It's, it's powerful, it's meaningful. But if I ask you at the beginning, do you think this fa- phrase is true? Most of us would say, well, absolutely it's true. But what does that matter to us? What does that matter to us? The fact that he is perfectly positioned to be a Redeemer. I just want to throw a couple phrases at you, and then let's, let's think our way through them that maybe could help us. Number one, because that is true, because he is the anointed one, he is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Number one, you never will have a reason, never will have a reason, you'll never have a reason to be disappointed with him. Why? Because he's fully qualified. Why wouldn't we be disappointed? Because he's fully equipped, fully selected. He is who he is. If there were credentials on his wall, it would fill the whole wall. We'd have to get another wall and another wall because he's completely, totally, perfectly, uniquely, without any question, qualified to be a redeemer. 
Now, maybe you say to me, well, there are moments when I have felt disappointed with the Lord. I have felt disappointed with the Lord. When something happened I didn't expect, something that's like, this, is, this hurts, this, I didn't expect this in the plan, an unexpected twist, turn, whatever. I, I suspect all of us on some level have felt disappointed in the Lord. Well, you just said you never have reason to be disappointed in the Lord. That's true. And if we ever feel disappointed in the Lord, I think that's okay. I mean, you remember Paul when he's praying that whatever this thorn in the flesh should be taken away? He didn't just pray once and God said no. Okay, well, that's the way it's going to be. He, he did this three times, three seasons of prayer. He kept coming back and kept coming back. He didn't want to be in pain. He didn't want to be in whatever discomfort, whatever limitations he had. He keeps coming back. There was some level of, Lord, I need something more from you until God finally said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. I'm not going to take the thorn away. I'm not going to take this burden away, this liability away. But I'm going to show my glory through this liability. What we need to do is process our emotions and be okay with that. But as we process these emotions, we, 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 if, this, if we allow the Spirit of God to talk to us and we listen to the Scriptures, in time He will bring us back to saying, Lord, I don't even have to understand what that's all about. But I can give up my disappointment in you. I can, res- I can just surrender that to you. I can be okay with, with you. And let me also say this. Maybe you're saying this morning, well, I'm not disappointed in the Lord. I'm not, I'm not in a sense of, of feeling like I'm uh, you know, on, a, on a downer, so to speak. If you're in a particularly good time, this is what I want to encourage you to do. This is what I want to encourage you to do. You need to grow strong in the good times. Make sure in the good times, that's where we grow in resilience. That's where we grow in our knowledge of the Lord. That's when we grow in our confidence. That's when our faith should be developed. So when we have those moments when, bam, we're hit with whatever that was, we can have enough resilience to at least process our emotions, to settle down, to pray over it, to understand, to seek the Lord. It may take a few days, a few hours, a few weeks, a few months, maybe even a few years to come to this point to say, Lord, I'm never disappointed with you because you are fully qualified and uniquely appointed to be the Redeemer. So process your emotions and come to that point where you reset your thinking to say, Lord, you're the one that makes the decisions. You're the one that sets the parameters of life. You're the one that puts into life what it is. You're the one that redeems me when I mess up and deviate from your plan and I need to be humbled and brought back. I need to come to this point where I just repent of that and come back and say, Lord, I'm fully satisfied in you. Number two, since Jesus is fully qualified and uniquely designated as the Redeemer, you will never have a reason to be ashamed of him. Have you had this experience? How often have we had this experience? You trusted in somebody, you respected somebody, someone was your hero, you, you had them in your mind up on some sort of pedestal, and before long they fell off and did a face plant right off of the pedestal. <laughs> you found out something, something happened. They're not as perfect as you thought they were. Uh, their PR machine was covering a lot of things you didn't know was behind the scenes, you know, however it is. And it comes to people, we are not perfect. Even the best person in your life, the most loving person in your life, the most nurturing person in your life, the most loyal person in your life, somewhere along the line, clue phone is going to disappoint you. It's, part of, it's called life. But when it comes to Jesus, we will never have that moment where, oh, it didn't all pan out like it should have. There's something there. I assure you, there are no skeletons in the closet. There's no misplaced faith. Jesus is uniquely designated and fully qualified. And every time we say the words, Jesus Christ, 
I hope at least some of this will flash back a little bit. He's the anointed one, the one who was predicted, the one who was announced, the one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit, the one who Jesus said, you're hearing this and you're hearing, the Holy Spirit has come upon me and has anointed me to preach the gospel and so forth. And someday he's going to come back and finish the work. So what do we do? Since we're not, we have no reason to ever be ashamed of him, we should share him freely. We should share him freely. Now you understand, sometimes you try to share Christ with somebody and they will out and out reject that as truth. You might say, well, that was a waste of time. Maybe, I, you know, that's sort of embarrassing. Sometimes, sometimes when someone just disagrees with us, we take it personally. But you know what? Even the rejection can be used as part of God's plan in one of two ways. Maybe that'll be a seed that is planted and somewhere down the road it'll be watered and grow and somewhere down the road that will, the light will turn on. I had that experience once back in that job where I sold that defective piece of uh, exercise machinery. I worked with a man in that setting and uh, he was married but was uh, for the most part living like he wasn't if you understand my drift. And, and we, we talked and I remember trying to share Christ with him and one time there was one particular conversation that I, I felt like I really, I really said what, I needed, what he needed to hear as far as coming to Christ. And he just like, oh, I laughed it off. He said, I hear you religious people all the time. He said, I'm around religious people. And, and they'll, do, they'll be one way in church. They'll be some way in another place. He just kind of blew it off, you know. We actually moved from that city, moved to another part of West Virginia. And it was probably two or three years later, and my, my phone rang. He said, hey, Jess. This, and he gave me his name. I said, well, I haven't heard from you for a while. I said, I just want to tell you what's happened in my life. He said, unfortunately, his marriage broke up because of his lifestyle. He then later got remarried. This lady took him, probably drug him to church. I don't know. But anyway, he came to know Christ, and he was just saying, I just want to know that I've embraced the Savior, and I now feel I'm called to ministry. And he went into a ministry, a very unique ministry, for a number of years. I think he's retired now. But uh, it's just interesting that sometimes you plant seed. It's not, sometimes you'll never know the seed germinates. Sometimes you'll hear those stories. But even if there's rejection, you know what? God is glorified in that. Because on Judgment Day, there's going to be no excuse for that person because they heard at least once in their life that a Redeemer was qualified and selected and available to them. And by the way, friends, maybe for you this is that day. Maybe for you this is that day that you will hear that Jesus is the Savior, the Redeemer, that He died on the cross. And if you will just but believe in Him, you can have your sins forgiven and you can have a relationship with Him and you can have a home with Christ in eternity in heaven forever and ever. If we could share more with that with you, Pastor Adam's going to be at the back. I'm going to stay here at the front at the end of the service this morning. And we'd love to talk to you. Maybe come with a Christian friend or family member. They could have that conversation with you. But that's a privilege to share. So even in rejection, that is true. And then there's that chance that we can also plant some seeds for later on. And sometimes people need to do a a U-turn. Sometimes people just need to come back to the Lord. Last week I told you the story about getting locked out of the church and I was out on the porch and while I was out there I talked to two young men that came by and tried to share Christ with them and, and I said we need to get locked out of church to you know, get out here to share the gospel. And I, I, in this service I told the story that finally Joe Moore shows back up about 40 minutes later. He has a key, lets me in all as well. I left that part of the story out in the 1115 service. Don't ever start a story that you don't finish because people aren't very satisfied. Several people came to me and said, well, how did, what happened next? Did you get in? Well, you know, I'm not still sitting on the porch, okay? So, you know. So, but you got to finish the story. People were unfulfilled with that. So, so thank you, Joe, for showing up and coming a little early and getting me back in the building. And, all was, and it was not a real cold day. I wasn't like freezing to death or anything. But you know what? He came, unlocked the door, and I got back in the building. 
there are some people that our ministry to them is not necessarily redemptive in the sense of bringing them to Christ. It's bringing them back into the fold of believers. Yeah, we need to get locked out to share the gospel. Sometimes we, you are the person that has the key to unlock to bring people into the family of Christ. And some, some folks, you know, they're, 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 yeah, they claim to be a believer, but they've lost their attachment to church. They're just out there floating. You need to remind them that it's safe to come to church. We're not going to call you out. We're not going to beat you up. We just want to love you. We want to share Christ with you. We want to see you grow in him. We want to see you flourish in him. So maybe there's someone you're going to meet that needs to have this reality that they're not ashamed of Christ because he allows U-turns. I submit to you the story of the prodigal son. He allows U-turns. The prodigal son could have made a U-turn long before he got to the hog pen, but he does make a U-turn and come back to the father's house. Maybe there's somebody that you can say, why don't you come with me? Why don't you come on home? It's time to come home and come back in the family of God. Maybe it's somebody that will reject. God can use that now or later. Maybe it's somebody that will accept. And the great news is what we share about him, we will never be ashamed. We will never be ashamed because he is uniquely placed, uniquely designated, and fully qualified to be our Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's share him widely. Let's, let's trust him deeply. And let's worship him. Thank you for joining us for this time of worship and study brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia. If you are in the Charleston area, we would love for you to worship with us in person. For service times and more information, visit our website, calvarywv.com. Until next time, may his blessing be yours.